0: Hello and welcome to the Depression Session on Downtown Radio. Today we have with us in the studio Joseph and Janice Hartman. Joseph and Janice are traveling ministers and musicians. We'll be right back with Joseph and Janice, but first let's talk about bicycling. So my car broke. I pushed in my clutch and it went and then I tried to turn it on and it was in gear because I leave it in gear and it went and it didn't want to start. And so I took it out of gear, tried to start it, and now there's no way of putting it in gear because I have no clutch. And I actually have been meaning to ride my bicycle for months, months. It's been beautiful out. It was a gorgeous, weirdly gorgeous fall and spring in Arizona. It's so rare to have so many days in a row that are under 90 and above 70, where the weather's beautiful and the wind is blowing. It's just been beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Most of the winter, it was a very mild winter. I don't know, global warming. Uh, we did have some cold days and I kept thinking, I'm going to ride my bike to school. I'm going to ride my bike to school because I teach and my, both of my campuses are an easy bike ride and I don't. I could blame it on depression. I could blame it on, I don't know what, but I just don't do it. That's what it comes down to. So my car has like decided to break. Uh, the most gorgeous weather we've had this spring so far. And I got on my bike and I biked to work. And I teach down at Desert Vista. It's about a half-hour bike ride. On the way there, I kept seeing birds and hearing the sounds. It goes along the Santa Cruz River. I went past this ranch that's right in the middle of the city. There's there's like five horses on this big turnaround lead going around and around, and other ones in their stalls, and then more birds and people walking their dogs. And I feel better than I felt in such a long time. and then I biked over to downtown campus and I go down 4th Avenue and take it almost all the way to school and you know, go past the shop owners and people on their bikes and people out for a walk and then I think why don't I do this more often why does it take my car breaking for me to actually get on my bike it's not that much of an inconvenience I have a backpack, I put all my stuff in it and put it on my shoulder why it's so hard to get started on things that are good for you It's a mystery to me. Some of it is, I was in a really bad funk the last month. You know, my contract's ending and I'm going to miss my students and life is uncertain in the future. And I don't know. I, I was in a rather low spot for nothing was really wrong, but just feeling off. And then my car breaks and I'm on my bike. I'm like, oh, the world is beautiful. So... (laughs) good things happen for a reason maybe sometimes so for all of you out there who are not spring is coming wherever you are in the country get out take a walk get on your bike enjoy the weather while it's beautiful or as everything's kind of opening up into the spring and I hope that it's inspiring to you maybe your car won't have to break to get you out there all right love to you all Today we have with us in the studio Joseph and Janice Hartman. Joseph and Janice are traveling ministers and musicians. Hello Joseph and Janice, welcome to The Depression Session.
1: Hello. Hello everyone.
0: Oh, so what are you, what's up in your lives right now? What are you up to? What's going on?
1: Right now we're traveling and ministering across the country. Last year we went all the way, drove all the way up to Alaska and back and just trying to help folks uh, get through hard times and bring hope and encouragement. You never know what's going to happen when you're on the road. Everything's spontaneous, you know.
2: You have some concerts lined up.
1: Yeah, I have uh, four concerts lined up, actually five now, in May, up Omaha, Nebraska, and then Shawnee, Oklahoma, and and then Austin, Texas. So we're lining up some more along the way.
0: Can you tell folks about your music a little bit?
1: My music is contemporary Christian. Some people say it's like a Bob Dylan type. There's this new song I wrote while we were out in California. It's called Overkill, and ladies was saying I was uh, like the Beach Boys crossed with Van Halen or something like that. <laughs> I don't know if it's Van Halen, but it was one of the rock groups. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> but I actually used the sound of racing engines as an instrument in the song. So it's actually I've, outreach
2: type music. Yeah, it's not the average. It's kind of like ballads in a fashion.
1: So you're really
0: old school traveling musicians and ministers. I mean, this is a tradition going back thousands of years. How cool. Yes.
1: The Lord tells us where to go sometimes we don't have the money, but we usually have it by the time we get to where we're going. So. Or at the place that we land.
0: Last night I was watching Tale of Tales, which is a series of fairy tales from like before Grimm's fairy tales and they had that different troops that would come through and try to entertain and wow. and give a message or get the queen to smile or it was sort of interesting that have you on today after watching that last night That is cool
1: That's neat
0: <laughs> They had somebody in their caravan of course it wasn't you know wasn't as comfortable as modern <laughs> travel but they were in their caravan with everything hooked off the sides and Wow I love traveling adventures What's the farthest you've gone Alaska or I'm
1: from Alaska from Texas to uh, Omaha to Seattle, uh, through Canada to Homer, Alaska. And then when we came back, we came through Calgary, went all the way down to Florida. Wow.
0: That's about as far as you can go in the United States.
1: A ten, <laughs> about a 10,000-mile journey. At they called the
2: end of the road in Homer.
0: Yeah. yeah, so you went from the end of the road there to Florida, <laughs> corner to corner.
1: Yeah, and then uh, Hurricane Irma decided it was time to get out of Florida. Oh, Yeah. <laughs>
0: If somebody wanted to hear you, where would they go? Do you have a website or information on... Yes, know? we
1: actually have two websites. I have our tour website, which is joseph-james.net. And then we have the ministry site, Janice's story. We have seven hours of video there. It's to Death, com, And her book is there. It's available in six different countries. Kindle, in print, and we're I'm coming not. out with a color book as soon as I can get it finished.
0: So on that note, Joseph and Denise, tell us the story of your depression.
1: Mine started when I was going through my first divorce back in the mid-80s. I'd gotten married and had two daughters, and I'd always made those vows, never going to get a divorce. And then I found out there was nothing I could do to stop it. So I went through a few years of that, and then in 1988, I picked up the guitar and just to do some praise and worship songs to help out at our prayer group. And the Lord started giving me songs. So I've written about 300 since, but it's my music started coming and then ended up getting remarried. That was a very short marriage. And after that time, I'd gone, to, left this small town in Yoakum and went to San Antonio and just to this church that I knew the pastor. And, you know, for me, it was like, I failed at everything. one wasn't working, had hurt my back previous years before I was all right now, but uh, financial disaster from the first marriage and the second marriage. And you know, I remember laying there one night and saying, Lord, just take me home. I, I can't do this. I failed at everything. And I know that a lot of it, my music helped get me through it because everything I wrote was from the heart. I didn't write a song that I didn't have an answer to. I'm writing more music now that's not necessarily faith-based. It's just stories. But it was mainly to encourage others, and it ended up encouraging me during that time. But it's before that divorce, uh, I met Janice. She'd come in to the church. I was running the sound system at the time. So we became buddies. I, I needed somebody to help me back there at the soundboards, and so she had volunteered. So we became good friends and stuff. And uh, even before my divorce was final, the Lord told us both that we were going to get married. And sure enough, it wasn't very long later. My ex-wife now had, you know, issued the divorce papers and everything. So, but I'm going to let her continue it from there and bring us up to date.
2: Yeah, we met in the singles group. And, well, we started hanging out in the singles group a little bit. And I remember he was so quiet all the time and hard to reach. Didn't really laugh, didn't have fun much. Uh, I remember I would tickle him and, and stuff like that after we were engaged. You know, i try to play and make, make him laugh and have fun. And he'd say, I am laughing. I said, no, laughter you can hear. But I'm laughing. I said, no, laughter you can hear. I'm not able to hear you. I see you smiling. And I said, it's okay. Come out and play. It's okay. And so that encouragement all the time that it's okay to be yourself. It's okay to come out. It's safe out here. He didn't feel safe. And he was so torn. And I'd gotten so much healing of my emotions and everything that I just kept pressing with, you're okay, you're okay, you're okay. Just like everybody had treated me when I was a mess and so we were building each other up on a regular basis when we got married it was increasingly better as time went on time doesn't heal but if you believe in god and and you believe you trust him with your heart he'll actually get in there and start fixing it you just got to have guts to let him in and believe that he's real you just kind of buy it like if somebody was to tell you something You believe them? Well, the same with, with God, that he actually is real and he cares. That's what blew me away, is that he's real and that he cares. And he works through people. And that's brilliant that he works through people. So he wasn't that broken person and now he's a chatterbox and, and he's strong again. He's the, the man that I think he wanted to be. And he's, you know, we're, we're constantly, some people use the word evolve, changing and growing. And, and it's really neat to see. As flower. It's kind of like the buds were closed, but now they're opening. The fragrance about it. I was a basket case most of my life. (laughs) I, I didn't feel as though I could live up to my parents' expectations. My sisters were real brainy in school, and I was mechanically inclined. And so things didn't make sense to me on paper. Give me something I can look at, and it makes perfect sense. So understanding the, the math and understanding history without going and seeing it all the time or a comparison to life now, it wasn't making sense. So I didn't have the grades, and so I was on restriction a lot or I missed out on things all the time. And I just felt like a, a, a nothing, a nobody, and I couldn't measure up. So I got into drugs, tried to numb it, the emotions, and it was a way to find peace because between the spankings and the the restrictions and the imperfection, it was just too difficult to live with as a teen and later. So then I got into—I was always mechanically inclined, as I said, so I got into electrical later on after I graduated, and I ended up having a back injury. So here I was, the only woman electrician at the time. Having a back injury, I got blackballed because it's one thing to have a back injury in that field and not be able to come back to work and then wonder if you can do the work. And then it's to be a female in a non-traditional trade coming back to work. And so that with the medication is like I didn't want the meds, but yet I did want to be able to function physically. So that didn't work out. I used to be in printing and in, in printer like my dad, so he got me back, got me into work at his shop, and I got back into printing. Then I got caught in a printing press. My right arm started with my thumb, pulled me into my armpit, degloving it, breaking bustle, uh, bones, crushing, and, and all that. So that really took me in a downward spiral. It was a clinical depression, and just so many things kept happening, and it just seemed like there was no hope. I was put in a, a mental hospital because the depression was so bad and I couldn't get out of it. And they did shock treatments even two different times of the series of 12. And so during all this, I've got a psychiatrist. I've, I've got all these people helping that don't know how to help really. I mean, how do you really get in there and fix anything really? You can talk until you're talked out and there's really seemingly no hope. So. They found out, the doctors found out over a period of time that they the MRI came out, and they did a brain scan, found out that it was myelin sheathing that was disintegrating in a fashion, just away from the, the nerves, everything, however all that works, and the brain cells were dying. It didn't make sense, so I was taken on different diagnoses. More were being made up along the way, uh, all the way to the point of... Uh, schizophrenia. With brain cells dying, things are happening. Plus, I, was, I, I went anorexic, and, you know, it was, it was identity crisis happening. So, no longer was I this strong, self sufficient, self supporting person. Now I'm a person that leans on anyone and everyone around because I'm afraid of my own shadow. And I'm so cowardly and frightened of just, am I even real? I, I started wondering if I'm even real or if I'm part of a movie or something. And and there were times that in in order to see if I was real, I would take the cigarettes and I'd smoke and I'd burn myself just to feel. So that's, I've got all these little round marks, scars, and they're just to see if I was real. Well, that's self-mutilation. So that goes over really well with the psychiatrist and it's back in the hospital. So (laughs) there were just, I was on so many different medications. I was having some little seizures too. And so that was on phenobarbital too, and also uh, antipsychotics, antidepressants, sleepers. And uh, I was suicidal like crazy. Oh my gosh. I kept trying to get off the planet. I mean, anything just to not suffer anymore. I was just existing, wasn't even living. And I was a burden to everyone in my mind. Everyone was tired, you know, after seven years, because this went on and on. I was in and out, in and out, in and out of the hospital. So I was put in a home to die because of the demyelinating syndrome. And it it was a caregiving home. Keep her comfortable because it's not mental. And now it's it's physiological. So my sister came out on the porch, she was a caregiver, and that's where I stayed. And she said, You want to stay sick forever? And it was like all of a sudden there was something that was different. And it's like, no, I had cognitive ability all of a sudden. I didn't have it before. I was confused all the time. And I said, no, I don't want to be sick, stay sick forever. Now what? And so I put out the cigarette and ran inside. Now what? Don't just leave me. She goes, now what? What? And I said, now what do I do? And she says, okay, well, how about we pray? Because she didn't know what else to do. She was this Christian that I was running away from all those years. And then I was stuck living with her. That was a trip. So so we did pray. And then the asthma that I had, it was healed in the middle of the night. And it was like, just the name of Jesus, did it. And it's like, what the heck? This thing's real? He's real? It just blew me away that, that, wow, and you care. You're really real. You're not just something for people to do to make them feel better on Sundays or Wednesdays and Thursdays or whenever. You're for real. You're actually really here. Okay, and so I had another asthma attack later on in the same night, and I, I couldn't breathe. And, and then I just knew that if uh, by Jesus' stripes I'm healed. I remember hearing that somewhere, so I said it, and it stopped. And I didn't have all the wheezing still going on. I didn't have the coughing and the mucus and all the, the exhaustion and, and all, and the fear of not being able to be alive, you know, just suffocating. And it was over, and it's like, oh my gosh, wow, this Jesus is real, wow. So I was tripping and I had to find out more about him. So that's how that began. It was supernatural. You know, we've got the demonic, that's supernatural. A lot of people can tell you that stuff's real. It's real. The bad stuff's real. But so is the good stuff. And I'm going, hey, I'll take that, man. <laughs> I'll totally take that. Be loved. And so I found a bunch of people, you know, in the church. I've been trying to get in church for a long time, but this one worked. And they were nice. They didn't try to beat me and should on me and you should, you should, you should. It's like they love me to life and it's like, but you don't know me. You know, why are you being so nice to me? You know, what's your motive? <laughs> and so, but it was, it was just new life beginning. So that's how that went. That really pretty much wraps it up.
0: Great. Thanks so much for both of your stories. Really interesting stuff. I wanted to pull out a, a couple of things from that. One is just the storytelling, like music as storytelling, because that's something I relate to. That's why I like doing the show. I just love hearing people's stories. And I think stories can be healing. Can you, can you comment on that? Like, do you find that when you perform and?
1: Yes. It's the the neatest thing is to get up and, and start singing. First of all, feeling the anointing of the Holy Spirit, because then I know I'm not alone. And I've got one song that's called "Angel on the Way" and it's about suicide, but it's about angel, an angel stepping in because of a brother that's praying for a sister, and so the song comes out. It it starts out very harsh and very, you know, because people are going, well, she's on the edge of death, but then there's this breaking point when when you see that's going the other way, and so you're watching pe. I'm watching people. You almost, you know, a lot of times uh, wiping tears and stuff, and then all of a sudden, by the end of the song, they're smiling because they realize. And that's just one of them, but that smoking that of me, the gun, uh, the smoking of the gun is also one about suicide. And it's actually about a person that's battling the thoughts, and there's two different choices. And in the end, they've got to make a decision, but it's right there, it's actually holding the gun. And you know, are you gonna pull the trigger, or are you gonna end it all? And it's some temporary storm. Tomorrow's a new day. The sun's going to shine again. I don't care what hurricane's coming after you. Whatever it leaves behind, tomorrow is is another day. And it's really not that bad. It's all circumstances. It's
2: like you with the bicycle riding. It's like any time that we've gotten out in nature, it's amazing. If we can force ourselves to get out the door, it's amazing the change of just nature just the trees, the birds, you know, you know, go by a lake and you see turtles out there, and maybe ducks. And It's amazing, just nature, how soothing it is. It's
1: very soothing. That's yeah. what we're trying to do with the tour, the Follow Your Dreams tour, is take entertainment, take music, Daniel dances, and we have other performers, comedians and stuff. And so we put on this show, trying to get people out of their homes. They're not going to go hardly anywhere else. And if they can come in and then they can say, hey, we need help, well, we can pray for them. We can maybe find a mentor for them to help them get through the rough times. Yeah, not be alone. Because suicide is so prevalent. It's a lot higher than they say it is in Tucson's number three in the nation.
0: Wow. Because I noticed both of you mentioned being in that place, not necessarily thinking in practical terms, but kind of what they call suicidal ideation, where you're like, wouldn't it be better if I wasn't here? She
1: actually did. You actually did. Oh, several times, yeah. She actually left her body one time. Yeah, when I hung
2: myself. I did a couple of D's and the hanging and the cutting. But yeah, and and all that's so gone. It's so far from me that I can reach in and help others now and not feel. I don't feel that. It's not. But yet I have the compassion. You know where they went, where they they go in their mind. The deep, the loneliness, the extreme. Loneliness and not wanting to be a burden and a hopelessness. Like, I can't see how I'm ever going to be alive again. It's like being dead inside and yet not wanting to admit it out of fear of being judged, you know, harshly or or looked down on. Because none of us really, it's such a stigma and it shouldn't be. It should be like, who hasn't felt this in all the generations that have ever been alive? Who hasn't felt it? Whether they're a warrior or mother, a dad, a child, just teenagers, you know, old folks. When their mate is gone or whatever, all their friends die off, And, and it's just them left. And it's like, now what do I do a Or your dog dies. Or, you know, your friend for so many years. These things are real. They hit us at home.
1: One thing I believe in all of our ministry is I believe we start dying the moment we stop living. Because we start making choices that are bad for us, and it puts us down this spiral to the end. And people say, well, they just committed suicide. No, they died a long time ago. They -hmm. gave up.
2: And we're not here to beat anybody on the head. You just gave up rather than how can we help you out of it? Who can we plug you in with? Who can we, we find that you might just go, wow, that's my friend for life.
0: Yeah, and I think that having that in both of your stories just shows that you, you can get past that. Yes. You can find someone who has has even had that same experience or who can at least identify with you. You can make a connection. Yes. You can find a life. <laughs> yeah. You can make a life. That's one there, of the, If you can just wait it out. <laughs> it's so true.
1: That's, <laughs> that's one of the neatest things. I mean, when, when the Lord sent us to certain towns and we were in these hotels... I mean, people came up to us and started telling us their story. He had them there for it and to see them when they leave versus when they came over. And we stay we, in touch. Yeah, we stay in touch Texting, with them.
2: Texting, you know, and call us if you need any kind of advice or just encouragement or you need to hear my, our voices. That's what I, everybody was working at the, at the days that I was institutionalized. So everybody's at work, not me. I've got all these hours. And being alone in my own head. Oh my goodness, being alone with my own thoughts. My own dark little world. Just being alone in that and but to be able to reach out and text someone now or even make a call and it's like, we'll set apart this time. Just give us a ring. You know, sometimes just hearing the voice, knowing you're not alone and you're still loved and accepted. You're still okay. And no we're not exhausted. We may be tired from a trip, but that doesn't mean we're tired from you. So yeah.
0: In your story, it sounds like you, you both went to a pretty dark place and then at, at a point met each other. Is that the start of the story of your ministry, or is that later? Is there like a whole unfolding of
2: that? Where'd you start? He was saying when, when we, we knew we were going to marry each other, he said, yeah, we need to get your story out there, because the testimony is from the drug abuse, gender issues, suicide, depression, mental illness, all, all these things, Okay. And he said, we need to get you out there and, and start telling them. I'm going, no, I don't want to go out there. I'm okay now. Just leave me alone. And he's so, that's, but we did, we sold the house. We bought a, a trailer and we took off traveling wherever just to reach out to anyone. And we would just, he played the piano and, and the guitar and, and did his music. And sometimes I, I would just know I needed to say something. I'd be up there with him hiding behind the piano Or the keyboard, (laughs) but then i grab the mic and stand up and say a few words and sit down again. So, (laughs) but that's how that that happened. Just like you said, there was a time. It it was after we married, and he knew we needed to get out there. I had something to share, but I didn't know I had anything. You're like, no, thanks, no, no, no. But he knew. (laughs) And it took guts to get in front of people, but more more and more, he's come out. He went from being the quiet one, which was only through being damaged to not be in the quiet one, but being who he is. And he has come out
1: to play. We're like people. And, you know, Psalm 139 says that the Lord has written all the days of our lives in a scroll in heaven. And each of us has a lane. It's like running relay races. You stay in your own lane and you find out what it is. And he's got all the provision there that we need. So if we can all run our own race and join together and connect around the world, then the whole world becomes a whole different place it's a place of love of peace of joy and and it'll change everything that's here the curses that are here will become blessings I was talking to a
0: friend recently about the current generation the millennial generation and you know those are those are my students I teach college students and they're I asked them once how much influence do you feel like you have with your friends and family and most of them felt like none and that shocked me because I thought well well, you influence your friends, but they didn't feel that way. Interesting. And I, I, my thought on it is, is that it's a very passive culture of receiving information. It's not necessarily a two-way street in a lot of ways between television, video games, the news, the con- Facebook, the constant taking in of information in a much different way. And what my friend said is. There's so many negative things that you'll hear from the media. It's how you sell products. Yes. It's how you sell stories. And if you're sitting there and you're you know, 18 years old and all, all the information that's coming to you constantly is the world is ending and things are terrible and everybody's shooting each other, then what agency do you even feel with your friends and family? Nonetheless, the world.
1: I'm really glad you're doing that. Because I try. <laughs> questions are the biggest things because it gets people to think. So sure. much stuff that's coming out are statements, yes, or declarations, and and it's like you're almost like this robotic zombie type thing. You know, j- people are watching their phones, walking, and not paying attention to what they're almost doing getting with. run over. yeah. yeah. And some <laughs> of them do get run over. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we have to we have to break that in our society.
0: But what you started with of like it comes from a place of love. First you have to feel loved.
2: Yes. Yeah, acceptance and love.
0: Acceptance and then and love. you can feel like maybe you could do something in the world.
1: <laughs> it's true. You actually want to. See if they can't hear you, it doesn't matter what you say. You know. It it just doesn't. But love usually like you said, it, it breaks it open.
2: Yeah, I was loved in life. And now I can pass it on. I really appreciate you this sharing the stories that you have.
1: Well thank you for asking. Thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you for making a big difference in Tucson, too. Really?
0: I want to mention again that if you found some of the content of today's episode triggering, please seek professional help and call 911 if you feel like hurting yourself or others. I'm not a licensed therapist, and this show and the station are not endorsing any remedies or products. The purpose of this show is to destigmatize depression through storytelling. You can find a link to mental health services on downtownradio.org on the About KTDT page. To listen to the podcast, or if you're interested in being on the show, contact us at www.thedepressionsession.com. You've been listening to The Depression Session on Downtown Radio Tucson with music by Helix. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at The Depression Session Podcast. Thank you.